This episode of AVXL was recorded on July 23rd, 2020. We're going to talk about quantum dot colors for your desktop monitor, overheating TV, some headphone recos, streaming audio to vintage 70s gear, Raspberry Pi, awesomeness, and a pile of your viewer questions. And don't forget, ask at AVXL.com if you got a question for us. All that and so much more coming up on AVXL. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AV Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I am looking forward to eventually having a much quieter HVAC system. Hey. Because it's harsh in my mellow right now. <laughs> Are your outlets noisy? Dude, don't even go there. I will point and laugh. I will mock you. No. And no. your hospital grade gold plated three hundred dollar switch plate. Well not switch plates. <laughs> Sockets. Um I I'm sorry. I'm getting rude already. It's nah. too early in the podcast to get rude. <laughs> there is a whole field of devices specifically for how you dump air into a room to make it as quiet as possible. And for oh. home theater rooms, that is the case. But is that what you're talking about? I don't know. No, no. I was I was thinking of the little things that you would plug things into that give you 120 volts of electricity oh, oh, oh. in the wall. I thought you said HVAC for some reason. I don't know. I did say no, no, no. I said HVAC, and you said outlet, and I immediately went to like audiophile grade outlets, like going into the wall outlets, which I've seen and laughed at hysterically. Because really, nothing really brought the stereo imaging together on my system quite like my $250 outlet I replaced the you know I mean it's just I too much snark too early in the day (laughs) welcome to AVXL (laughs) oh my goodness I want to hear a crazy story about having all of the storage in your NAS sure Okay, so a friend of mine decided to replace his NAS with a Linux server which became this very intense learning process for him because he's a feral nerd and uh so by the time he was done he had uh as he likes to say 0.7 petabytes in storage and he's currently using about 0.4 petabytes (laughs) all right 700 terabytes and using about half yeah that's a lot of hard drives if he decided to watch all of the media that is stored on this, I think he would have approximately five years of consecutive entertainment. <laughs> I built out a 12-drive Synology box, and by far the single greatest investment is the actual hard drives themselves. So yeah. at that system, usable storage is about 52 to 55 terabytes. I couldn't even imagine dealing with 10 times that or greater. <laughs> it's a lot of hard drives. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's a good amount of storage. That is a very accurate statement. Well, you know, 12 terabyte drives are down to, give or take, 320 bucks right now. <laughs> True, but worthy of a NAS box? Uh, yeah. Well, those are WD Reds. Consider when you're building out these boxes that it, the cost of the box is almost irrelevant, really, when right. it gets down to yeah. it. Especially once you start talking a dozen Big drives, drives. Or, or even eight big drives will quickly suck up that budget. Yeah, it's always amazing. Like you, you're looking at the tab, and you're like, "Oh, wow, that's three hundred times six. That's eighteen hundred dollars worth of hard drives." And if you're taxes. doing any kind of raw video backup, be it from Rip Blu-rays or your 4K drone footage or whatever, it's ridiculous <laughs> how quickly you're going to use all of that data. I would love 700 terabytes of local storage. Wouldn't we all? Of secure storage.
You uh, had some unsettling news, uh, or I should say that the the title is unsettling, which is that uh, some LEG OLEDs are overheating. What's happening? Is the OLED leaking out of the monitor? He says with his tongue firmly in his cheek. There was a story out of PC Mag, and this is based mm-hmm. on the reporting out of Korea. This only affects models sold actually in South Korea at this point. And LG okay. reported that their 65 and 77 inch models from the 6, 7, 8, and 9 series TVs are experiencing overheating concerns, uh, potential issues. It could have been a defective part or a board build or something within there. The company has already had engineers out to 20-some thousand affected customers to do on-site repairs. You can imagine with a 65, let alone a 77-inch TV, most people aren't saving the boxes that those TVs came in, let alone how are you going to deal with right. you know sending a product like that in for repair or not. This is just something to keep an eye on. I don't see it affecting anyone outside of South Korea at this point based on the reporting. But it is something to keep an eye on if you perhaps imported one of these TVs somehow, some way. Again, it's just the 65 and 77 inch models in that six through nine series so far that appear to be affected. It's worth keeping an eye on. If you ever have any problems like these that are known widespread issues with a particular display, do contact the company and get in their service center and make sure your case is going just in case. It makes everything a lot easier down the road when you try to actually get a fix if needed for your particular display. It's interesting to me how this apparently only affects the larger displays themselves. So that also kind of lends itself more to a power handling issue, perhaps with a board on the set itself. Good to know, or sad to know. Yeah. I don't know, does that sound too cheerful? Overheating anything makes me sad. <laughs> I'm really hoping that it is limited to just models sold within South Korea itself. Let's hope that's the case. Let us hope. More computer monitors offering quantum dot color enhancements. It's been interesting watching HDR show up and get a VESA spec and become something that's actually kind of impressive on the desktop computer monitor side of things. To hear about quantum dots showing up is even more fascinating to me. On the professional monitors I look at and calibrate, they're often mm-hmm. using wide color gamut LEDs as the backlighting system, like a super rich red or a super rich green in particular for a lot of the high-end monitors. And that's how they achieve their wide color palette. In this case, I'm starting to see not only prosumer-ish, but also gaming monitors and now a new Samsung Chromebook that is being enhanced with the QD film. And if you're all high and mighty on the gaming platform and you want the biggest, baddest monitor that currently has my attention, that 49 inch ultra widescreen Samsung Odyssey G9 gaming monitor features that quantum dot enhancement film (laughs) and comes in for about a cool $1,600, but wow. I was thinking I love my dual monitor setups, but Mm -hmm. having just one giant monitor take care of two or three other monitors, (laughs) that would be kind of cool. But either way, it's just simply good to see more quantum dot for better color on computer monitors. You pair this with something like micro LED technology, like I'm seeing on some Asus Pro Art monitors and things like that, where they're achieving 1200 nits now with local dimming control and things like Dolby Vision and HDR10 support with that color palette built right in. Granted, that Pro Art monitor that I really have my eye on is about, I don't want to say about $4,500 for the 32 inch 4K version, but 
Still, that's like a sign of where you can see computer monitors going in the near future. I think the color enhancement, especially with Quantum Dot, is a relatively mm -hmm. easy thing for most manufacturers to start adopting. If other manufacturers are doing wide color palette without Quantum Dot, I'm more curious to know how they're doing it exactly. Is it something like a phosphor-coated LED or some other enhancement? Right. Either way, PC gamers and everyone in general, when you're shopping for that new monitor, especially on modern OSs, if you ever plan to deal with HDR or be it for gaming or video production or just enjoyment on your desktop, that's something to keep in mind in terms of how is the color being produced on that monitor? And if it's not QLED, how are they going to do a wide color palette to really, to really give you that image of super saturated primaries and secondaries? In addition, as cool as it is on the home theater front for having a, right. a display with local dimming, it is especially impressive when you can have something like that on a monitor. Granted, again, anything doing full array local dimming over a thousand nits with wide color palettes is an extremely expensive display right now, period. I have hopes that that technology will make its way down into more and more affordable products. There you have it. Robert and I have been talking a bunch about Raspberry Pis recently. Um, you can do them as a rune uh, and endpoints. Um, you can use them for Volumio. You can use them for all sorts of interesting streaming audio and video projects. People are using them to serve Plex if memory uh, <clears throat> serves. I, you found a uh, a a new heatsink because I did you pick up an eight gigabyte Raspberry Pi four? They finally came back in stock, and I've had my eye on one for a while, and I finally did. Picked up the the new Raspberry Pi 4B model with 8 gigabytes. Uh, nice. A 64-bit computer, effectively, with decent graphics and USB 3, and yeah. the thing runs on a, a couple of watts, really. It's funny, because they changed some of the throughput issues that were involved with how the USB bus was implemented on the Raspberry Pi. They made it much more powerful. It's the first time I've ever, when I reviewed it when it first came out, it was amazing because it was the first time a Raspberry Pi was really usable as a desktop. And then they just kept piling on more memory on it. You know, it's 75 bucks, I think, when you can find it in stock, but it's still pretty powerful when you start realizing how small this thing is. Integrated AC wireless, Bluetooth 5. I appreciate the fact it even has two micro HDMI ports that support up to 4K60. I'm going to use this as basically a test bed for trying out different OS builds and different projects, mm -hmm. and then finding a more suitable Raspberry Pi model at less money that can actually run that particular project effectively. Uh, for my current project that I'm working on in terms of just having a solar-powered system to track aircraft flying overhead of our house, I'm actually looking at something more along the lines of the Raspberry Pi Zero W, where this is a very low-cost board. $10 list price compared to the $70 list price of the Raspberry Pi 4 8-gigabyte model. Mm-hmm. I effectively get all the performance I need out of something like that for most projects. When it comes to the, the four, it, it is like, well, at this point, the first thing I'm gonna do is simply set up a dual display setup and see how it works as a desktop. And then beyond that, it will easily run anything else I wanna do in that realm. I'm also looking at doing other fun stuff with it as well, including, what games can I actually get to run on the thing effectively at good frame rates and good quality and a classic gaming console, basically with every classic gaming console piece of software appropriate, in this case, Bluetooth controllers, and having that just plug right into a TV 
with a micro USB adapter cable. Plus, I can probably get away with using one of the USB ports on a TV to power the thing. Again, it, it, the whole it, uh, it, you you probably for the Raspberry Pi four you probably need yeah you know at least a, a clean I would suggest at least a clean amp. It's the first Raspberry Pi that I've owned that uses USB C as its power adapter rather than the micro yeah. USB power adapter I've used before, and they are saying it is five volt three amp required. It generally isn't running at three amp unless you're co- no. cooking off rendering projects or something, but still. The official Raspberry Pi power supply, which I'm holding in my hand, is a uh, 5.1 volt 3 amp output. I would say, if you have at least an amp on USB-C, you're probably good. But I wouldn't. Oh gosh, I wish I had the numbers when I actually tested that. It's a little more power hungry than uh, previous Raspberry Pis. We mentioned that case though. I picked up for it, and it, you don't have to have cases for your Raspberry Pi, but generally speaking, it's nice to have a raw circuit board actually encased in something. Get a case for it because I actually managed to knock one of the surface mounted components off of a Raspberry Pi 2 or 3, and I've become very religious about making sure I have a case on all my Raspberry Pis ever since that incident. Without a doubt. Yeah, but you were saying about the case you found. The one I picked out in the case of, uh, in the case of, when I actually was working on the Raspberry Pi Zero W, I picked up a heatsink kit for it that included a few little stick-on heatsinks for some of the chips on there to help keep things as cool as possible when it's just running without a fan. Now, when right. it came to the Raspberry Pi 4, I was definitely going to do something similar, but I looked around and there are cases out there that are literally blocks of aluminum with the appropriate contact points for the chips on the board. And with some nice little thermal pads that came included, I want to say, where did I pick this particular case up at? Uh, Pretty sure it's up on Amazon. It may be. I ended up going through a company called Vilros, Mm V-I-L-R-O-S.com, for just buying, here in the U.S. anyway, it was a good, easy site to use for buying Raspberry Pi boards and accessories, and they gave me the notice ahead of time that they had some of the new Raspberry Pi 4 Model B 8-gigabyte RAM models in stock. So I ended up grabbing one of those. But I'm super happy with that case overall. The Pi Maroni aluminum heatsink case for Raspberry Pi 4. Yes. Pi Maroni does a bunch of accessories, and I bought it through Vilros, and it worked out just great. It's available in a bunch of colors. I ended up getting the red one. What the hell? (laughs) It's a Raspberry Pi. The glory of anodized but aluminum. it then creates literally a computer the size of a about a deck of playing cards, maybe just a tiny mm-hmm. bit thicker. And with that aluminum heatsink case on it, it is very robust. I'm not going to drop this on the floor, but at the same point, it feels way more rugged now. And having that extra bit of heat sinking is going to be great when I try to push it, trying to run something like Quake 3 at 100 frames per second. Or <laughs> actually, I want to get Quake 2 running first, and then I'll, uh, yeah. then I'll put Quake 3 on there. But my first project, literally, I'm going to install the default OS, connect a couple monitors to the two HDMI video outputs on this thing, add a mouse and keyboard, and literally you have a desktop ready to go with built-in Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. If it's at all usable, literally a $70 computer board with everything ready to go with a free operating system. It's pretty impressive. And the flexibility then to swap out various micro SD cards for whatever project you want to have run on it. As in with these products, the SD cards typically act as a hard drive to the uh, onboard RAM. If you've never been there, uh, check out the Magpie 
They actually, back in February, did a roundup of heat sink cases, including thermal imaging of the cooling, and they measured the temperature on that uh, enclosure you found, the Pimeroni case you found, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. They're a British magazine. They're super dirty. Well, they, they are all about raspberry pies, but it's fun to take a look at where the temperature's on the case, and, and they had some mostly passive and at least one actively cooled case. I thought this was funny that you brought that up because Cooler Master just launched a Kickstarter for the pie case. 40. They wanted 10 grand to fund it. They're up to $168,000. Uh, I feel comfortable that Cooler Master will deliver this, having been burnt uh, in the none too distant past on some Kickstarters. I'm really kind of curious to see this because it includes a power switch built into it and some uh, some other uh, interesting devices, including a set of vase mounts that attach to the case. And I'm really curious to see what the thermals on this turn out to be. Because again, it's you know it's it's got a big massive heat sink basically it is a big massive heat sink that encloses your raspberry pie oh so i was worried that maybe their case design didn't allow full access to the board's connectors but in their description a a durable aluminum case full access to the board connectors and that's something i found with the case i went with i'm not restricted in terms of accessing the pinouts or what and any particular part of it for any kind Mm -hmm. of connection a vase amount hey that's great I mean, it's something similar to what's included in the box with a something like the Intel NUC computers, the next unit right. of computing, the Nooks. Considering how small this little computer is, I almost wouldn't have a problem just zip tying it somewhere on the back of the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> it's light enough. Yeah. I think it looks great in that case I picked out, so I wouldn't even mind just having it sitting on like the base stand of the monitor or something. Make yeah. it visible. And one thing that I love about Cooler Master is they are releasing all this, quote, all the schematics and the 3D model for the Pi Case 40 for free for anyone to download directly from their website. I thought that was kind of fascinating. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're fully open sourcing it, but it's still pretty cool of them. For my related solar-powered airplane tracker project, <laughs> all the parts are ordered. The only thing I'm waiting for to show up is... The 25 watt high efficiency solar panel and four 18650 batteries that I've been waiting on. The price of those is outrageous. You find a good price and it's going to be crazy shipping, or you mm-hmm. pay a high price and it's just the same everywhere. I wanted to get the biggest 18650 cells I could. About the biggest realistically you're going to find are about 3500 milliamp hour. It's a 3S board, so it's basically. It has room for up to three cells. I can actually double the number of cells in it, but the charging system really wouldn't be able to fill that up in a single day, even with maximum sunlight for its given power. All the parts are arriving, and I'm looking forward to just getting that set up and tested out and put together. I think I can make this work on three 18650 batteries plus a 25 watt solar panel for a 24 seven Wi-Fi server for tracking ADSB signals in my local area. (laughs) All the signals. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So what's going on with Major League Baseball streaming at this point with the big empty stadiums? Exactly. Spring training sessions have ended and starting tomorrow or actually tonight are the very first actual games of the new season. If you look at any of these games, even during spring training, it is an empty stadium that the players are playing in. So I I had the wonderful idea thinking of my AV roots. (laughs) I was like, you know what we need? We need virtual fans. We need a way for the virtual fan participation to actually be noticed or heard by the players on the field, especially for nighttime games. They should have huge projection screens over where 
the fans would normally be sitting so that the players can actually see some of that virtual interaction. And this was my pie-in-the-sky idea, and I begged Major League Baseball to consider it. Two days later, Fox Sports announces that they are actually introducing virtual fans for Major League broadcasts, <laughs> powered by a pretty cool piece of open source tech, uh, futureuniverse.com slash product. You can actually see the tool that they will use to incorporate our avatars into the actual game. This gets close to what I was thinking of. If it would allow us to also throw a virtual cheer or an emote out that the players themselves on the field could actually hear would be one cool thing. If there was some way for them to also then see these virtual fans with their emotes, like having screens that they could see rather than having them to turn around and look at some screen in the stadium, but right where the fans would normally be. If for nothing else, right behind home plate, put up a couple of giant projection screens with the virtual fans in there so that the players themselves can get a little uh, little taste of the, the love from people who want to watch but can't be there <laughs> or want to participate but can't be there. I was watching uh, 61, the uh, movie about uh, the Mantle and Maris race to break Babe Ruth's uh, home run record, uh, which was... Uh. Uh, on you know it's on HBO, it's on HBO Max. As I've been puttering around with HBO Max, love the movie. You know, I was kind of watching it in, in fits and starts. And there's that moment when Maris finally breaks the record, and, and Yankee Stadium kind of goes nuts. And I was thinking about that and how weird it's going to be for these guys to play in an empty stadium, especially at places where attendance is huge. To just have all that empty space. I mean, Yankee Stadium with no people in it, it has to be really weird. <laughs> it's a very clinical game. I mean, wow. Number one, you will hear every sound. There is no fan interaction currently. Right. You're only hearing what the players are doing, and there's got to be some downside to not having screaming fans <laughs> when you're a baseball player used to full stadiums and things like that. So. Where are my screaming fans? Given the current state of affairs in the world, I think augmenting this virtual fan system to make it even more interactive and to bring in folks from around the world who might want to actually, you know, virtually participate with their favorite team is a way we should be considering these kinds of major league and pro sporting events. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that the NFL here in the United States, at least, takes note of what's going on and is even more ready to go compared to maybe what MLB is doing. <laughs> Take notes from MLB, steal their ideas, make it even better. <laughs> Done. It's all Fox Sports anyway. In the immortal words of Mr. Picasso, good artist copy, great artist steal. On that ethical note, uh, <laughs> JJ4884 reached out on Patreon. He's got a question about headphone recommendation. He writes, Patrick replied to my tweet recently saying he would reco the Sony MDR7506 for those wanting a step up in audio. Is there a headphone that is around or slightly above the 7506 that has the ability to have a removable and replaceable cable? Ah. The 7506, it's the wire cutter's choice for under $200. They still sell for $98. bucks. i have seen them as low as $78 bucks new. It's a really amazing headphone for the money. Uh, and I was laughing because I was, I was watching a video that the Lost Bayou Ramblers did about the making of their Mammoth Waltz album. And there's a point where it cuts to, you know, one of the principals of the band singing into a microphone. And, of course, he's got a set of 7506s on his head. And I was just like, ha-ha, there they are. And uh, they're kind of everywhere. Beautifully accurate. 
they're a really solid. It's a great entry level headphone. Um, it really is. Like, and and for a lot of people, it's you know probably the last headphone they ever need to buy. For what it's worth, I have a pair of seventy five oh sixes that are years old and they have no cable issues. Um, that said, I understand a lot of folks might not be happy with the length of the cable or the fact that it's a coiled cable or the weight of the coiled cable. If you search on Google, there are a ton of DIY removable cable mods for the seventy five oh six that essentially in involve putting a headphone jack in the base of one of the cups so you can plug a cable into that. If you can solder, it's not the easiest project, but it's not a really bad project. They're fairly easy headphones to take apart and put back together. You know, assuming you want a closed back headphone, you're probably going to spend a lot more money to find a headphone that sounds this good that has a replaceable cable. And let me make it clear. If you're worried about the cable wearing out, don't. I have a set of Sony MDR V6s, which is a very, very similar headphones certainly has like the same basic cup and cable design if not the same cup and cable design i think those headphones are 20 years old at this point which makes me feel incredibly old but you could still basically pound tent spikes in with those headphones and the cable is still in good shape uh, i'm on my second or third set of head pads because the previous two have disintegrated or ear pads but what about headphones that have removable cables though i can't think of one off the top of my head but i also haven't really thought of it so. <laughs> well there's there's options right i've spent a lot of time with monoprice's m565c they're a planar magnetic they have big wooden cups they are I want to say 200 bucks, maybe $159 for the open box version. That's essentially one that's been returned. They sound fantastic. Not the lightest headphone, but they sound fantastic. You know, that's still twice as much as paper for the 7506, but they do have a replaceable cable. Um, HyperX, uh, who made the keyboard I am trying not to type on because it's a mechanical switch keyboard and it drives everyone nuts when I type on it. Their headsets have removable cables. Once you get them to that $7,500 plus range, the sounds uh, pretty good. The engineering is fairly robust. I think the Cloud Alpha sells for $99. Uh, that's kind of the, the headset of choice at the wire cutter. You, you know, the, the cable is replaceable. You don't have to keep the microphone attached to that. But the, the flip side of that is not only do you have a replaceable cable, but you have a microphone that's going to do a great job uh, if you are stuck in Zoom and or Skype land uh, professionally right now. Um, the problem with finding something like the 7506 with a removable cable is that you know, this is for a hundred bucks, right? They they used to be typically like seventy eight dollars. Uh, they're averaging about ninety eight dollars now. That's still thirty dollars under the MSRP. Uh, they punch above their weight class. They sound really good for the money they sell for. And finding something that gives you that performance that has removable cable is kind of a pain in the posterior. I 100% agree with that assessment. <laughs> I'm wearing them right now and I love them. I put up with the cable. <laughs> I actually have a desk and I end up resting a lot of the weight of the coiled portion right. of the cable right on the desk. That way it, it puts less weight on something hanging off my head. But yeah, in terms of audio reproduction for the money, it's my go-to. Yeah, they're good headphones. Jude reached out on Patreon about vintage electronics and streaming audio. <laughs> he wrote in, and I'm giggling because I was thinking about an ad I saw on Craigslist recently. He says, I've, I've been really enamored with some of the vintage electronics from the 70s. 
I believe this is more of an emotional attachment than a rational one, but is there a setup you could recommend incorporating a classic stereo amplifier and modern streaming? I don't want to start buying cassette tapes and albums, if not vintage and a modern amp recommendation. Thinking primarily for headphone listening, but a nice pair of bookshelf speakers would be useful. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Jude. Um, Man, there was uh, one of my favorite audio shops ever was a place called the Stereo Exchange, which I believe still exists in New York City, but is no longer at their original storefront on Lower Broadway. And they made this really great cottage industry out of making decent audio affordable for college students, because eventually college students hopefully get a job and then buy fancier audio gear. So they did a lot of used gear. And for a long time, they had a lot of you know vintage 70s and 80s especially at that point, 70s uh, gear was really inexpensive. And unlike today, when it's become in this weird place in between sort of hipster bearded vinyl enthusiasts the 70s stuff is is mostly incredibly expensive like if you if you find a, a vintage receiver especially um if you're looking at vintage Marantz receivers uh some of the yamaha receivers from the 70s you know if you find one of those for sale for 50 bucks at a garage sale just grab it even if you don't want it you can resell it on ebay for probably vastly more than you paid for it those have all become kind of a thing for certain audio enthusiasts out there. Some of the stuff has survived well. Some of the stuff uh, has not survived well. A lot of them will need things, you know, you, you, you might need to, at the very least to clean RCA jacks and ports and stuff. It's a real mixed bag. Some of the 70s stuff was great. Some of the 70s stuff sucked. It's You're kind of all over the map from that. Uh, there are a lot of ways to stream into uh, a vintage receiver. Sonos makes the port. You could do, uh, remember we talked about Raspberry Pi enclosures earlier. You can take a Raspberry Pi board and run Volumio, which is a cool streaming app. You could purchase Rune Labs. Uh, the Rune Lab stuff is incredible, and I'll, I'll get more into depth in that and what Rune Labs does in a future episode. It is a fantastic way to take not only your collection of audio, but your streaming audio and deal with that there are bluetooth adapters um you know Wirecutter has a great collection of bluetooth adapters you can plug into the rca jacks in the back of a stereo starting at like i think 55 dollars for a StarTech bluetooth audio receiver that's on amazon there are a ton of options out there if you like it and it works great if you want to learn how to deal with say you know when you turn the volume knob the potentiometer it's crackling and stuff i, I will uh i will talk next week about cleaning up potentiometers and jacks and other stuff i'll also talk about some of Thank the options you. out there for uh, you're welcome. Uh, some of the options out there for affordable receivers you can buy now. I'm going to say don't buy, like, unless you think it is going to make your life vastly better, don't buy a freaking $500, $700 receiver off of eBay or, or, you know, I mean, if you want it, buy it. You got the money, great. But what you can buy for $200 now, in many cases, will kick the snot out of what you could buy for a lot more money that was made in the 70s, uh, unless you want a built-in AM, FM radio. <laughs> Exactly. There are a handful of Raspberry Pi projects out there of good quality that support many. You mentioned one of them, but Volumio. And there are a few others, too, that make it very easy to convert these devices into uh, Bluetooth Wi-Fi streaming devices that are compatible with an app on your phone. Yeah, A good Wi-Fi Bluetooth Raspberry Pi 
starts at 10 bucks yeah and it's capable enough of dealing with audio streaming if you have a bit of the diy in you do consider a project like that that may provide exactly what mm -hmm. you want at a level of customization yeah. that you may just appreciate if you need analog be aware that the raspberry pi zero w does not have analog output on it you can add it of course otherwise you'll be using hdmi output for the audio or other ways too. I should have mentioned that the Raspberry Pi's onboard audio output kind of sucks. I think it's better than it used to be, but you can also pretty much plug any basic USB audio adapter into a Raspberry Pi. Uh, I used to actually use an extra audio quest Dragonfly that I had plugged into a Raspberry Pi. There are a lot of options, um, but Ooh. a USB stereo adapter, stereo audio adapter will work fine uh, unless you're looking at super high-res uh, audio files. And uh, for most streaming stuff, it's pretty easy to just use an inexpensive USB audio adapter, which often sound better than you would think, given the price tag. Hell yeah! There are plenty of cool projects out there for Raspberry Pis, and yeah. the hardware is so inexpensive. It, <laughs> seriously. And they're just such wonderful little computers. They and, are. Uh, with great support. Oh my goodness. Although there are some odd things related to their relationship with Broadcom now, but... I'll get into that another time. It's a scary thought. Did you get your new PC built? Do you have you acquired all of the parts? I have ordered all the parts. And <laughs> let's see. I ordered the case last week. And after about three days, it was put down for tracking as, hey, it's currently out for delivery. And then it was like, it's going to be delayed. And then a day later, it was like, we don't know where the hell it went. I happened to have found the same exact case at my local Walmart surprise i was actually shocked and they will have it this friday for me to pick up directly in hand in person i'm gonna go grab that i also swapped out my cpu heatsink cooler Ooh. with a more capable unit and that also has arrived i need to go pick that up actually but those were the last two parts basically the, the case and the heatsink cooler i have everything else ready to go and i'm aiming for an eta of probably probably Friday night or Saturday to actually get the build started. I want to double check up that all the parts look good. I received my brand new power supply unit for the computer in a nicely packaged box. But when I opened the box, the, the box of the PSU itself literally looked like somebody took a hammer to the side of it and put a hole in it. Oh no. I was like, that's not good. <laughs> but at least it was in the half of the box where all the cables were and not where the actual power supply unit was itself. So I think it's safe. We hope it's safe. <laughs> yeah, I, I really need to connect that and test it out. It's disappointing to get a box that was a little roughed into. I am super pleased that I've got all the parts together. I'm happy with the, uh, the CPU motherboard choices, the amount of memory and the performance in the memory I picked out. I expect it to go together pretty smooth. I'm not seeing any hiccups in my near future. Oh, I got into this on our last episode, but the whole reason that prompted me to get the system built in the first place was that I was experiencing some, what I assumed were CPU glitches related to my overclocking experiments. Uh-huh. Upon closer inspection of my graphics card, apparently the last time I dumped a beverage out on my desk, some of that went into the case. <laughs> Sorry. There was a... No, it, it was... Even I was like, wow, that, that looks dangerous. That looks really... There is like sticky stuff on my graphics card across multiple components and every... I was just like, oh, Oopsie. how is this even working? <laughs> 
So I pulled that out. I also gave me uh, the opportunity and uh, the moment just to take that thing apart, get all the dust and crap out of it, redo the compound on the chip itself and put it all back together. It seems to be working just fine now. And I've noticed significantly fewer glitches. <laughs> significantly fewer glitches is A, always good, and B, definitely a possible band name. I now, <laughs> I now have my doubts about how damaged my CPU might be. It may have literally been just simple electrical shorting issues on that graphics card causing a variety of problems. Let alone that Windows recently introduced some new functionality for using the GPU for background oh, man. processing. And who you knows? Know, I, I think I think the combination of that and a cool beverage being spilled into the computer at some might point. Might have been a problem. Uh, may have. And uh, yeah. Yeah. All, all uh, I want to say is <laughs> I just want to hear your reaction when you go from your Core i7-920 to a processor that is what I will affectionately call significantly newer and to see if you enjoy oh. the performance difference. I had at least upgraded my i7-920 to a Xeon 5670, but still, yes, okay. we're talking like a 10-year-old CPU, literally. It's a beautiful and, thing. And I'm now addicted to looking at benchmark results for my particular <laughs> CPU, and it, they're all literally at least 50% higher than I'm currently running that. Uh, if there is a bottleneck in my current system, it's definitely the CPU, and that's getting replaced this weekend. It's <laughs> a so. beautiful thing. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening to us. If this is your first episode, this is called AVXL. I'm Patrick Dorton. He's Robert Heron. You can find all the episodes and information on how to subscribe at AVXL.com, or you can just search for AVEXCEL on your favorite podcatcher. Big thanks to all of our patrons, patreon.com slash AVXL. These are the people who pay the money to help keep this thing moving forward, and we want to thank each and every one of you. And I'm thinking it's we are way overdue for a hangout. July 29th, sir? Does that work for you? I believe it does. That'll be like Wednesday, July 29th, and then we can talk about what we talked about on the podcast we record on the 30th, which will give us three podcasts for this month. Uh, although we recorded four, we recorded the first one twice because USB and microphones and high-quality USB analog to digital converters sometimes fail, and I will hang my head, audiophonically speaking, in shame. It's getting there, baby. It's getting there. It's getting better. In any case. Every time. Yes. And my new computer will hopefully be built by the time we do our hangout. It's a beautiful thing. All of that processing for a small audio signal. <laughs> Overkill. Well, you know, sometimes, yeah, I don't know. Future-proofing. <laughs> Not overkill. He looks towards the front of his house at the giant diesel truck he used to haul his RV around the United States. Yes, 800 foot-pounds of torque is a good start. A proper tool. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Harris. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. And again, thank you to all of our patrons, patrons, all of our patrons at patreon.com slash AVXL.